Welcome to the Leading Inclusively podcast series. I'm your host, Denise Hummel, and I'm extremely excited to welcome today's guest, Padme Bassi. Padme is the Chief Learning Officer for the Kraft Heinz Company, where she creates a culture of continuous learning and drives the company's global learning and development strategy and initiatives. She has deep expertise in learning theories derived from artificial intelligence research and practical experience designing and developing highly rated learning solutions and transformative professional development programs. Prior to Kraft Heinz, she served as the global head of learning uh, platform and professional development for BlackRock, the world's largest asset management company. She's also the chief experience officer for the My 52 Weeks of Worship project which focuses on interfaith and cultural diversity, understanding and communication. Well, I have to thank you so much for joining us today. And I, you know, just before we dive into this, I, you know, I, you, you have such an outstanding background. Is there anything that I left out that you want our listeners to know about? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. I mean, you did a great job. I like to say that I'm a lifelong learner and I love laughter, words and big ideas serving my community. So all of the things that you kind of shared all, you know, play into that kind of description of how I, how I see myself. So that is awesome. that's the only thing I would add. Okay. I love it. I love it. So, so I have to say, and I don't know if this is diving into it too quickly, but I really enjoyed your 2018 TED talk. Um, and in case you have more than one that, you know, one that I haven't seen, it's the one that discussed the idea of navigating sacred spaces and in it, you define sacred spaces as, as spaces and moments that challenge, but also nourish completely and thoroughly. Do you mind um, elaborating on that concept and maybe even offering some ways that it applies to success in your ongoing work today? And by all means, if I didn't characterize it correctly, just, just correct me. No, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, it may be important to note that my TED Talk was based on my experience during my passion project. So for the past 10 years, being the chief experience officer of the My 52 Weeks of Worship project, which began in 2010 when I made a personal commitment to visit a different place of worship every week for a year. So churches and mosques and synagogues and temples, a couple living rooms, um, and have really had the opportunity to travel and visit sacred spaces from the south side of Chicago to South Africa, from Brazil to Brooklyn. So it started as a grief journey, um, it started a year after I lost my father and my grandmother um, and ended a relationship all in the same year, which was, oh, it my. was, it was tricky. <laughs> um, and, but it, 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 and it ended up being kind of an exploration of faith. But the, the way that I got to that, that description that you mentioned um, is that although I was able to explore the wild and wonderful ways that people worship, it really, I'll, I'll tell you a story about one experience that I had where I went to a living room for a specific ritual from a worship community. Um, I don't make a habit of going into people's living rooms that I don't know, but I was surrounded by strangers. Um, and at the beginning, because we were not in a traditional sacred space, there, was, there were candles, there were incense, there were things that were read. There was a transformation of a living room into a sacred space. Um, and I really then realized that anyone can do that, right? The transformation. Um, and so a sacred space really is a place where you can feel like you are um, challenged and nourished to be your best self, whether that's personally or professionally or spiritually, whatever it is that you want. And so the, it is a, 
um, it's, it's related to what I do with my life every day, because even if you're looking for a particular um, job or a company or a career, where is the place where you feel like you'll be challenged and that you'll be, uh, that you'll be, but also be supported as you develop. So it dovetails with a lot of the work that I do in learning and development. You know, one of the things I, I loved about your pro profile is that you're a trained comedian. I didn't know that. I mean, you and I are connected through Marshall Goldsmith and, and I, and I, I thought that I knew most things about you, but I did not know that. So tell me about that and how that influences your work or your interactivity. Absolutely. I mean, it influences everything about me. Comedy is my first love. Uh, when I, for as long as I've known myself, I've wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but it was a hard sell to my parents who, uh, <laughs> when I went to college, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to study computer science, but I really want to be a stand-up comedian. Um, it's how I process the world and um, first of all, as a learning and development professional, you're in front of a room all the time. Anyone who gives presentations or keynotes or training, laughter is a superpower. It's a tool that helps people to stay engaged. Uh, comedians are enormously amazing observers of life. Everything is material, transforming that into stories where if you tell those stories, people recognize their lives in those stories. And so even though I have not been... Um, you know, I studied at Second City. That's where I was trained. So I'm an improviser. I'm a comedian. Um, and try to be on stage at least once a year to do something that incorporates comedy. Uh, my last performance was a one-woman show that I did a few years ago called um, Under Construction because I'm always doing projects and I'm always seeking to be better. Where but was really, that? It was in New York City. And oh, when wow. I moved, yeah, so amazing. When I moved to BlackRock, to New York to work at BlackRock. Um, it was moving from being self-employed for 13 years to going back to corporate. So I made that promise to myself that I would, you know, still perform. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just infuses everything that I do. I think laughter is the, is one of the greatest gifts that we have. So are you, are you even able to use it in your role in learning and development? Absolutely. I mean, I think you, when you think about leaders who captivate and engage, they're enormously great storytellers. Um, disarming with a joke or a story that makes people laugh always works. When keynote speakers who are entertaining always land. That's and true. so, you know, That's right? True. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, I, I, thinking back on my career, the, 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 the times that, you know, where, where I started getting really good reviews was when I started lightening up a little bit and interjecting just a little bit of humor. I, it, it definitely kind of, makes everybody take a deep sigh and 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 you've created some sort of relatability and connection with the people that you're um you're interacting with so you have you have me thinking because you know of course we've we've as you probably know we've developed um an app um you know related to a, a different delivery mechanism um, for learning. And now I'm going to be thinking about how can I incorporate some humor into this? It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be interesting to do. So, so speaking of that, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're working on at Kraft Heinz that you are particularly, um, um, proud of and, and also what sort of impacts you're seeing from your work, uh, you know, particularly with regard to company culture and collaboration, if you don't mind, because I think our listeners, since our listeners are so into inclusion, 
the whole concept of, you know, company culture, collaboration is, is actually a really big issue for most of the people that listen to this podcast. Sure. Um, I like to say that my role as chief learning officer is twofold. And one is creating a culture of continuous learning, bold creativity and curiosity. So culture is enormously important to me. Um, I've been in my role since in the beginning, a focus on developing uh, a learning culture has been, an, has been a focus for me. So side by side, of course, is the more traditional capability development, skill development, courses, learning events, um, training, but the cultural piece drives that, right? So initially, what, so one of the things I'm really excited about is um, an initiative that I call Learn Like an Owner um, and really taps into encouraging and inspiring people to take ownership of their learning and development. Um, when I was just a few months in at Craft Times, I started a project and I like projects. I'm inspired, frankly, by my 52 weeks of worship and seeing how doing something big in small pieces has such great impact. Where I promised the organization I would learn something new every day for a year, 365 days of learning, and then share it back in our internal wow. network. Wow. Um, yeah. So it, it was, I mean, amazing. Imagine, no, you know, no holidays, no weekends. Um, reading articles and podcasts, listening to podcasts and taking e-learning courses and going to conferences and sharing it out. And then really modeling, as I think all senior leaders need to, what it means to be a lifelong learner, what it looks like, that it takes 10 minutes some days and two hours other days, um, but that you can make that commitment. And so that has become kind of the, uh, the hashtag that defines our learning culture. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I, I think you know it's it's to, you know it's a mindset too, right? Because because even if we don't have the time or uh, access to let's say a podcast or even an, an an article, if if we have that that learning mindset, we're actually learning something every, every day, right? I mean, I learned that you were a trained comedian. I never knew, knew that. I you know I learned by interacting with my children, you know, something new. Um, about um, about just interrelatability. I learn, you know, from my team, you know, on a daily basis. So, but if I didn't see it that way, uh, you know, if I didn't have that learning mindset, then th this information would be coming at me and I wouldn't necessarily even seeing, see it as a learning opportunity. You're absolutely right. It, it hones that skill of seeing everything as a potential for learning something new um, and gets you into that practice of, okay, first I learn, then I reflect what, on what I learned. Then I determine what I need to practice. I practice something. Perhaps I'm a senior leader and I say, you know what, I want to practice, you know, today speaking up in this meeting or I want to practice um, negotiating. And then once you practice something, you reflect again, did that work? It didn't work. So it's, it's more than just, hey, I read an article. It's getting into that, that practice of learning and reflecting and practicing and repeating and looking at everything as an opportunity to learn. Now, of course, you know that 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 uh, we're really very focused on AI right now, based on based on the the, the development of our um, app and platform. And so, of course, I need to to pick the brain of a senior leader in enterprise in learning, and ask, um, you know, to what extent have you tried to incorporate? Well, technology generally. I, I assume that you're using technology, but but. But even AI, if you if you happen to be um, utilizing it, just I'm just interested in in the technology assets that you're using to further expand, you know, and innovate your learning strategies. 
Sure. So, I mean, my background is in AI. It infused my initial entry into technology-enabled learning. I used to do only technology-enabled learning. And that was, I mean, frankly, back when we were doing 40-hour simulations, immersing people into virtual worlds um, and that sort of thing. Technology has changed a great deal because then nobody was looking at a screen all day. Now everybody is. And so really having to right-size learning experiences, people talk about micro-learning and now even nano-learning, like Mm -hmm. get in as much content as you can in a very short period of time because people's, you know, basically attention spans have shrunk. Um, I, I, so AI in terms of our traditional AI research, in terms of how people learn, how the mind processes information, infuses everything that I do as a learning designer. That is, how can we create um, engaging environments where we're using case-based reasoning, where you're allowing somebody to consider a, a specific problem based on something they may have learned before and taking that knowledge from before and applying it in a way that is, is relevant. Um, you, are, I'm sure, are very aware of machine learning and the power of being able to customize learning experiences so that I'm getting exactly what I need depending on what um, my particular learning goals are, and that's actually something that I'm really interested in. Um, I'm, so, I, you know, I, I, I would also say that measuring impact and using data analytics and the immense power of in analyzing the data that's available to say, these are the, in, uh, the investments we're making in our learning um, platform, in our learning um, uh, experiences. What do people like? What are they using? What are they not using? Let's make sure to get rid of what people are not using and invest more in what people are using. So technology is helpful in all of those ways. So I think I, I cannot resist, of course, um, you know, asking you, I mean, I have the, the opportunity to learn from you uh, related to, um, to, to, to machine learning. So as you know, um, the app that we've developed is specifically focused on behavior change. So the machine learning that we're focused on is um, A, trying to uh, make sure that the, the machine, the, the app, understands the type of learning that this particular user is interested in. So the depth, you know, the, the, you know do they like long articles? Do they like auditory, visual? Um, the other way that we're using it is to make sure that the learning that we're pushing becomes deeper and deeper the more the learner is accessing the content. So the first time they might access a particular piece of content, it might be very basic, but after that, it should get um, deeper and deeper. So, so those are some of the ways that we're using AI. Are there any other ways that, you know, in terms of machine learning, in particular, because I know AI is kind of overused and machine learning is, is, is a piece of AI, but is there anything else that we should be focused on to really, you know, make the, this as, as successful for the learner as we possibly can? I mean, I think that you highlighted two really amazing um, areas of focus, right? So in the process of making a learning commitment or creating a learning habit, I talk about finding a trusted source of what are your trusted sources of learning? If you are not, if you don't know yourself as a learner, you need to do things like say, well, do I like articles? Do I like podcasts? Do I like, you know, this source or that source? And to be able to have technology serve up things based on um, the, uh, the available uh, resources so that people can try them. The first example that you gave is, is amazing. And then second, everyone's not at the same level, right? And so we do a lot of manual or historically have done a lot of manual kind of creating learning paths. And if you're a beginner or if you're an intermediate or if you are, 
you know, an expert to be, but to be able to say, I want you to, to complete this, you know, this learning task based on how you've completed it. I will intelligently determine whether or not you are need to stay at this level and I give you more or we move you to the next level because obviously you've already mastered this. And so I, I think one of the golden, um, you know, tickets really is customizing learning as much as possible because mm-hmm. people have limited time. And if, if we can use technology to help serve up the learning that's most relevant to them, it's most useful to them where they, you know, meet them where they are. That's just amazing. Okay. So are we going to, I mean, I realize, let's face it, virtual learning is not a new thing. No. <laughs> uh, but we are, you know, it used to be that, you know, we would be asked to deliver live learning, you know, in the area of inclusion all the time. I mean, all the time. I was on a plane out to Michigan and I was supposed, supposed to go directly to New, New Brunswick, you know, back to back when, when COVID-19 hit. Um, everything has been moved to virtual. Um, and, and so I, I think we all need to up our game. I mean, I know I went and revisited our virtual learning and said, okay, if this is going to be the new normal, which it just might be, like this may not be temporary, right? Um, if this is going to be the new normal, you know, do, do I have engagements, uh, sorry, if do I have interactivity in our um, programs every three to five minutes? Am I varying this up to have, you know, some, a variety of modalities from video to polling to, you know, word cloud to what you breakout groups, um, you know, because I'm competing with people double tasking, you know, and, and checking their email, you know, while I'm trying to instill learning and I am going to be judged. My team is going to be judged um, on the basis of what they absorb. Um, and I can't control what, you know, what their, where their attention is on the other end, the way I can I mean, at least if I have an audience and I'm looking out and I see them playing with their phone or, you know, whatever, not paying attention, I can maybe, you know, sidle up to them and, you know, create more proximity or something or eye contact where I can make a difference. So, so what are some of the techniques that we can use in this new normal that's going to assure the same level of engagement and, and learning excellence? Sure. Um, I think you're absolutely right. First of all, I mean, uh, virtual learning is not new. Um, but it is now being thrust into the forefront because of the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I like to tell my team, like, you are a learner yourself, right? So if you're bored to tears, rest assured that your audience will also be bored to tears, right? Think about the things that engaged you. Outside of the e-learning world, people have so much access to customized, highly um, engaging multimedia throughout the internet and various other, uh, even, you know, in the way that we receive information. Um, and then you come to an e-learning course and you're clicking through and like, I'm allergic to really allergic to bad e-learning. You know, click here, take a nap, click here, go do your laundry, click here. Okay, look, I got the certificate. So really um, drawing inspiration from the things um, on the places that you find in, intriguing. Um, people are so delighted when you, are thoughtful about interactivity in a virtual world. I was on a, a webinar the other day and literally there were two polls in the middle of a 45 minute webinar and the reaction was, oh, that was amazing because people are used to just kind of, you know, being passive observers and watching, you know, uh, people 
um, talking heads, et cetera. So I think a lot of the things that you mentioned where you are, you know, asking people to participate, you're calling on people virtually, you're, you're at the beginning of your learning experience, letting people know this is not going to be something where you passively watch. I need to, you know, um, I'm soliciting your input and I, and I, and I value your contribution um, using the technology that's available to you is, is, is really wise. That's great. I'm going to remember to do that right at the beginning. Just, you know, really, really try to hone in on that and, and let them know to give them some warning that if you're not paying attention, you're going to be in a disadvantage because you're going to be asked to take a poll or do and you're not going to know what's going on. <laughs> Something to that effect. Um, I will take your advice. Um, okay. What about um, trends? Now, now I'm, I'm a little concerned that if I had asked you this question, you know, uh, uh, three weeks ago, you might answer the, the question differently than than you, than you might answer it right now with this with COVID nineteen trending. But just in general, what are, what are you what are some of the trends that we should be aware of in learning and development? Well, I mean, I think everyone's talking about the future of work. I mean, even before the you know COVID nineteen hit, trying to figure out how technology is going to change the way we do work. Um, a little bit of a spin on that is how can we allow technology to help us with the tasks that we don't need to concern ourselves with. So if they're highly automated or if they're not tasks that require um, a fair amount of, you know, you know, strategic thought, let's let the, let's let technology help us do that. So I think the trends are really around trying to figure out how to optimize or, you know, when you say artificial intelligence, it's like human intelligence plus machine intelligence, if you put those two things together, you can really optimize the way that we work. And so I think people are really trying to figure out, well, who, what should we be doing and what should we want? Should, what, should, what, what should we inspire or allow or uh, technology to do? Um, and then and also, how are we going to train people to do the things that, you know, technology really should be doing? Um, I, I definitely see a continued trend in um, how to infuse learning in even smaller increments, um, nudge technology. So maybe I take a course and how do I continue to remind people, hey, you had this learning experience. Remember this thing that you walked away with and said that was transformational. Are you doing it? Are you practicing it? Helping people to cut through all of the information that they've been given. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get 4 billion emails a day. <laughs> and so you need um, technology to help cut through all of that and say, these are the things that you think are important. Um, that allow people to do deep work as opposed to, you know, the tasks that take up a lot of time but don't have a lot of strategic uh, impact. So, so those are some of the things, that, the conversations that I hear people having, optimizing our output and letting technology take care of the rest. And how about, how about in the area of, of culture and performance uh, specifically? Yeah, culture is, they say, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Everybody wants to work for a highly, uh, a high performing organization that has a strong culture. We at Kraft Heinz are doing a lot of work around purpose and leadership principles and our values, making sure that everyone's very clear on what we stand for as an organization, um, what to expect when you work there. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of figuring out what you are about and then stating it repeatedly so everyone really understands this is okay. She's consistent. She's saying, like for me, I'm a lifelong learner. I think learning is a superpower. I'm going to keep saying that as I'm creating a learning culture. Um, and then why? Why should I learn? It's so that you can execute with excellence. Performance is important. 
it's clear that companies that have learning uh, cultures um, have excellent business results. It's in the research. And so I think it, it is a, a combination of figuring out what your culture is going to be, committing to it um, from the top of the house on down, and then being clear why the commitment to that culture impacts performance and business results. So it's not just a nice to have, it's a must have. Now, are you at Kraft Heinz, do you um, develop all of your training internally? No, not at all. There is definitely a build versus buy conversation that goes on. Um, you, you know, you, you, we're not in a development house. And so there are certain things that we do internally, but then certainly we outsource um, or work with vendor partners, um, university partners, um, and, uh, and work with consulting companies that will help us to develop programs as well. Okay. And what, what do you look for when you're, when you're um, trying to decide, you know, do we, do we take on a learning partner? What are some of the criteria that you use? Um, to your point about culture, do they understand Kraft Heinz culture? Are they willing to become smart about the best way that learning can land at Kraft Heinz? I think um, every company that I've worked for feels like, well, things are different here. Like we do things differently here, right? So you want to make sure that a certain partner will will take the responsibility for saying, well, how does this work? How do things work here? Um, and frankly, I'm looking for people, as we spoke about earlier, who have access to cutting edge ideas around how to engage with people, right? So I, you know, if I'm looking for a consulting partner, it's not someone who knows less than my team about how to develop um, engaging learning. I want them to bring ideas to the table that can help us to become better um, so that's also something else that, that I always look for. Makes sense. And, and I, 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 I don't know, maybe I'm making an assumption, uh, you know, based on how we engage, but to me, uh, we, you know, we, we try to be a partner. So we're, 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 we're looking for a thought partnership that results in a mutual win-win. Do you, do you feel that way as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because any other way, I mean, nobody wants to be an order taker, and so to be able to say, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Here are our learning objectives. Here are our performance objectives. And to your point about behavior change, this is what we want our employees to be able to do after they go through this learning experience and then bring that to the table with a, a group of hopefully um, creative um, and uh, experts and uh, learning professionals to, to help us with that program is, is what we're looking for. Okay, great. By the way, if we want to, if, if, if our listeners want to see you in action in terms of your, <laughs> your comedy, um, where, where would, wh what could they Google or what could they uh, input on YouTube to, to, to find you? Well, Denise, all of my standup is on lock. I do have a YouTube channel, but my, oh. but my, yeah, my one woman show is guys password protected. Oh. Um, uh, so, I mean, I would say that, you know, my keynotes, I do try to incorporate humor. It's, of course, a little bit different than stand-up. But um, I wish I could say, go to this place so you can see me perform, but I can't tell you. Well, well, to my listeners, I have the inside track because we're actually friends. So I might be able to kill for that password if I promise never to share it with you guys. It's possible. <laughs> Anything is possible. Super mean. No. No, no, we will look for your, um, we'll look for your keynotes um, and, and see that humor being incorporated and try to um, try to learn from it. And, um, and um, tell our listeners the title of your TED Talk, although I'm, I'm assuming they could put in your name and TED Talk and they would find it. But, but is there a title that they could search for as well? 
That's correct. Of course, with a name like Pam A, it's not too hard to find. Exactly. But the name of my TED Talk is Navigating Sacred Spaces. Um, and I'd love to, for anyone to let me know what they think. How did you get it. your uh, nickname, by the way? And your, your, your full name is spelled, I'm not even going to say it, E-K-P-E-D-E-M-E. Correct. Ekpedeme is my name. I'm first generation. My parents were born and raised in Nigeria, West Africa. So my name is wow. Nigerian. Um, and it's actually a great story. My name is in my father's language. And so my father spoke my mother's language and my mother didn't speak my father's. And so she gave me a nickname that sounded like Pame. I didn't actually spell it until I was 10. And when I was in junior high school, I went to a new school and they said, how do you spell your name? And I thought, well, I don't know. I've never spelled it. By the end of the day, P-A-M-A-Y. That's, I mean, I just made it up basically the spelling, but it is kind of a, a shortened form of my full name. But that was the phonetic, that was phonetically what, what she was using as a nickname. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, this has been really, really fun. Is there anything um, that you'd like to leave your listeners with and, you know, that I haven't asked you about? I mean, I will just give a plug because I do really believe in the transformative power of learning. And especially in these trying times where there's so much uncertainty, I'll tell your listeners what I tell my organization that let's learn our way through it. And like you said, everything that comes into your line of sight is an opportunity to think, okay, what do I, what can I learn from this? How can I adapt? What am I supposed to do with this information? And if you become the kind of person that thinks of yourself as a learner, it helps you deal with uncertainty. And we are faced with so much of that right now. So take the time to learn new things, to reflect on what they mean to you, um, to practice the things that you think are useful to you, keep what's, what's useful, discard what's not. Um, and I think it's really, a, it's, it's a really an enriching way to approach um, challenging situations. I agree. And, and I think if we take that approach that will emerge stronger, um, you know, we're all going to learn some, some very important lessons um, about this situation, you know, as individuals, as professionals, as organizations, uh, which will make us more prepared for, you know, in, in, in inevitable disruption, because there always is, right? Some of the disruption is positive, some is negative, some is neutral. But at the end of the day, the more strategy and planning we can do will leads us actually ironically to more agility. So I think that learning mindset actually is going to be at the central core of getting us um, through this next period of time. Agree. I definitely agree. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are out there who um, follow us, thank you so much. Um, we'd love for you to leave a rating for us and we'd love to see you again next time. Thank you so much for joining us.